good to be here. It's good to be here today to worship the Lord together and uh, to get into His Word a little bit and dig a little bit. And we've got uh, a fellow with us this morning that is gifted and trained to do just that. Peter J. Williams is with us again. He's been with us several times, and we are glad to have him here this morning. By the way, both ser- each sermon will be different this morning, so if you want to stick around for second service, that would be fantastic. And in this room, he will be talking about Job in the connection time, about the the challenge of suffering and uh, loving God. So I hope you'll be here for that. Um, I'll read you a little bit of his bio. Peter J. Williams, from, uh, PhD from Cambridge, is principal of Tyndale House, Cambridge, an institution committed to promoting trust in the Scriptures. Formerly, formerly senior lecturer in New Testament in the University of Aberdeen, he's also a member of the English Standard Version Committee and chair of the International Greek New Testament Project. Blissfully married for 21 years to Catherine. They have a daughter, Magdalena, and a son, Leo. The family is regularly involved in United Beach missions in France and Belgium. Sounds really interesting. Uh, Peter and I have known each other for a little while, and it's been nice getting to share thoughts and exchange ideas with him. A few years back, I was at ACU for the summit, and uh, Peter was there as well, and I was getting ready to deliver my talk there and walk into Moody Coliseum in front of a lot of people. And we were just chatting out there in kind of the corridor around. And he said those, those three words to me that only a true friend says in a special moment, zip your fly. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> true story, true story. And I am eternally grateful that I didn't stand up in front of 2,500 people with my fly unzipped. So... We're going to spare his voice, so I will be reading the passage this morning. It is 1 Samuel chapter 17. It is one of the greatest stories in all the Bible. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Soko and Azekah in Ephesdamon. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the other side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, with a valley in between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head. He was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. He had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. His shield-bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, "'Why have you come out to draw up battle?' Am I not a Philistine? Are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill you, or kill him rather, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now David was the son of an 
Ephrathite of Bethlehem in Judah named Jesse, who had eight sons. In the days of Saul, the man was already old and advanced in years. The three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to the battle. And the names of his three sons who went into the battle were Eliab the firstborn, next to him Abinadad, and third, Shammah. David was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For forty days the Philistine came forward and took his stand morning and evening. And Jesse said to David his son, Take for your brothers an ephah of this parched grain and these ten loaves and carry them quickly to the camp of your brothers. Also take these ten cheeses to the commander of the thousand. See if your brothers are well and bring some token from them. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and took the provisions and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he went to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line, shouting their war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. As he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before, and David heard him. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, have you, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way, so shall it be done to the man who kills him. Now Eliab, the eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? Was, was it not but a word? And he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way, and the people answered, uh, answered him again as before. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You're not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father, and when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. 
He put a helmet of bronze on his head, clothed him with a coat of mail, and David strapped uh, his sword over his armor, and he tried to go in vain, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook, put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield-bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into into my hand. I will strike you down and cut off your head. I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel." And that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with the sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled, and the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron. So the wounded Philistines ran or fell on the way from Shariam as far as Gath and Ekron, and the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered their camp. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, and he put his armor in his tent. As soon as Saul saw David go out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, as your soul lives, O king, I do not know. And the king said, Inquire whose boy the whose son the boy is. And as soon as David returned from the striking down of the Philistine, Abner took him, brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? And David answered, I am the son of your servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Thank you, uh, everyone, for having me here. Thank you, Gordon, for uh, having me here and for reading that. My voice isn't that strong, and so I'm really glad that he did that. It's an amazing passage, and I'm very happy if it just stays up on the screen and that you switch your Bibles on, or if you've got a paper copy, you know, the one that, um, that they used to have, you know, these hard copies. My microphone needs to move a bit. No, you and your little ears. My little ears. I, t- I told them about my little ears, that they, everything moves on that. I can always use this one, you know. Okay, so uh, do turn in your uh, Bibles. We're going to look at this passage. Now, think of the situation. 
For years, Israel has had judges. And then they have a king. And the very first king they choose is tall Saul. And then we have some enemies that attack. They're called in my language Philistines, in your language Philistines. And if I talk in my language, I hope you still understand. And they come into a part of Judah, the people of God, um, into a part of the tribe that belongs to da of David's tribe. And they're there, and there's a battle. And it seems that there's, there are two hills, and there's a valley in between. And the, the Philistines send out their champion, Goliath, and he is scary. And he has got three sorts of defensive uh, armor. He's got greaves protecting his shins. He's got a helmet, and he's also got this chain mail, which is uh, really flexible. And so he's well protected in three ways. He's also got three weapons to attack with. Uh, that is, he has a sword, which we learn about at the end. Just make sure you're turned on now. Am I turned on? Okay. He has a sword, um, and he also has his spear. And it says that the shaft of his spear is like a weaver's beam. What this seems to mean is that you sometimes see on Greek vases that there's a guy with a javelin and there's some string around the base of that and they have a loop so that they can actually cast the javelin and uh, they can cast it more accurately, they can even retrieve it. So he's able to get you at a good distance and that has an iron head weighing about 15 pounds. So that will knock you to the floor and it will go through any armor that you have. Most people at that time are wearing bronze, that's what he's wearing, but the iron is the extra hard metal which is going to go through your armor. Oh, and just, just for luck, he's also got a spare weapon, the javelin, on his back. Three defensive weapons, three offensive weapons, and the guy is really tall. Nine foot six, nine foot nine, I mean, he's pretty, pretty big, okay? And he's got lots of experience. And so when people see him, they're incredibly scared. And that's what we have in the first scene. Except there's one more bit I want to draw your attention to. And that is there is also a shield bearer. Now the shield bearer, my friends, is not an armor bearer. You know, like uh, the surgeon says to the nurse, hey, can you pass me the scalpel? Can you pass me the drill? No, I need the bigot bit or whatever. To, um, that, that's what a surgeon might do uh, asking for things. That's what an armor bearer would do. Hey, pass me the sword, pass me the mattock. No, this is a shield bearer. And have you noticed the cheating thing? The shield bearer goes in front of him. So he's got all that armor. He's also got a guy with a big shield protecting him in front. So in fact, he has thought about a long-range attack already. That's the first scene, and people are really scared. We don't have a change of scene. Verse 12, suddenly we flick over to this guy, David. We'd learned about him in the last chapter when he had been anointed by the prophet Samuel, anointed to be king. Instantly after being anointed, he'd get a part-time job as a musician in the royal palace. It's amazing how, hey, it's connected. The anointing of God, and suddenly he gets royal connections. But that's a part-time job, and at this stage, he's still back with the sheep. And at this time, three of his brothers... Oh, you get lots of threes here. Three offensive weapons, three defensive weapons, three brothers. We're going to see more threes. Uh, that's because the story is meant to be learnt. And also because it's true like that. Three brothers have gone off. And just at this time, Jesse decides to send David to go and check up on his brothers. Now, he didn't have to send David. How do we know he didn't have to send David? Because David left the sheep with a keeper. So in other words, Jesse had other people he could have sent, but in God's sovereignty, he sends David. 
Oh, and he sends him with three things, doesn't he? What are the three things? Parched grain. Mmm, how many of you are having parched grain for lunch today? Sounds delicious, doesn't it? Not really. And bread. Now, the parched grain and the bread are for the brothers. But there's another, there's a third thing, and that's ten cheeses. Who's the cheese for? Oh, it's for the commander of the thousand. Now, if you want to get on in life, one of the things you need to know is to look for the important people and give them the best gifts, okay? So that's what Jesse's doing. He gives the commander of the thousand, hey, he gets the cheese. The brothers, hey, roasted grain. Not so good, is it? So anyway, David goes off and he arrives, and he arrives at just the time when Goliath is delivering his morning sermon, uh, his morning rant, if you like, and he's got a challenge. You give me one person who can fight on your side, and you know, if we win, you become our servants. If you win, we become your servants. I don't think that's very likely, but there we are. Everyone is completely scared. And you know what they say as David arrives, and he arrives just as they're going out to battle? says this, the men of Israel, this is verse 24, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who's come up? Surely he's come up to defy Israel. And the king will give a reward. How many parts are there to the reward? Three. Three parts to the reward. And that is, the man who comes up will get great riches, loads of, loads of money give him his daughter in marriage, and make his father's house free from taxes. Whoa, that sounds good, doesn't it? And uh, David uh, hears about this, and he asks another person, what's the reward? And uh, in fact, he asks three times, what's the reward? Anyway, after the second time, his oldest brother, uh, Eliab, gets to hear about this, and he is really angry. And this is what Eliab says to him. Uh, verse 28, Eliab, his eldest brother, when he heard this, he spoke to the man. Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep? Now, we actually know the answer to that. With whom did he leave the few sheep? Hey, he left them with a the keeper. But he's got to play, he's got a difficult line to tread, really, Eliab, because he's got to play down his brother's role, those few sheep, but at the same time make it sound like the few sheep actually matter. So it's, it's quite difficult when you're trying to sneer at someone like that. And he said, I know the presumption and the evil of your heart, for you've come down to see the battle. Hey, Eliab, what have you been doing the last few days? And how much fighting have you actually been doing? But anyway, and David said, what have I done now? Was it not but a word? Isn't it interesting that Eliab says, I know your heart. What do we know about Eliab's heart? Actually, the Bible tells us about Eliab's heart. Turn back to the chapter before, 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16, it goes like this. God sends Samuel to go and anoint one of Jesse's sons. And Eliab's the firstborn. He looks really impressive. And Samuel thinks, wow, he'll make a good king. And God says this. Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature. He's a tall guy. Because I've rejected him, for the Lord sees, not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So in other words, the Bible tells us something about Eliab's heart. Now, it's a really interesting thing here. That Eliab is despising David and thinks he knows his heart, when actually the problem is not with David's heart, it's with Eliab's heart. And that can often be the way. He must have known he was there when his brother got anointed. He knew his brother had got anointed, but he despised it. He despised 
the anointed of the Lord. Remember, Christ is the anointed of the Lord, and that's the ultimate bad thing, to despise Christ. But he despised the Lord's anointed because he thought he knew better. And I think that's a real warning to us. We might see other people getting given more recognition than us, more responsibility. Hey, and they're, they're people who've been around for less time. And we say, hey, I think they're some upstart. I know their heart. You know, the problem is not their heart. The problem is our heart. So when we look at this story of, J of David, we see there's a lot in it. The battle only takes one verse. There's a lot more in here. There's the cheese too. Now, let's just can keep looking, because what happens is after he asks about the reward, soon the king gets to hear about this, and so David gets to be there in front of the king. Now normally when it, you go and meet the, the monarch, the monarch speaks first, but in fact here we have David speaks first, and David says, let no one's heart be troubled because of this man. Now it's really interesting that usually when people have a source of fear, let's say you're afraid of spiders, anyone here afraid of spiders? Yeah, one or two, okay. Um, usually the idea is you get rid of the spider and then you stop being afraid. But he's saying, the guy's not being got rid of now, but already now, you should not be afraid. In other words, whatever you're afraid of in life, don't wait for that source of fear to be taken away. Right now you should not fear because you should be trusting God. Right now, let's trust God. So, Saul looks at David and he says, you're just a kid. You can't fight. David explains his experience. He's been a shepherd. Wild animals, lions, bears have come along. He did an amazing thing. You know, I don't know if you've ever heard of anyone doing this, chasing a lion. I mean, isn't that extraordinary? Chasing a lion, running after a lion. The lion would come along and take a little lamb from the flock. By the way, doesn't go for the big sheep, goes for the little lamb, the little thing. And he's got it in his mouth. So what's he do? He runs after it, slowed down because it's carrying the animal, and he hits it. What's that do? It, it means that the, the lion or the bear drops the animal. It frees up lion or bear's mouth. It turns on you. He grabs its hair, and he hits it and kills it. And he doesn't say, hey, I did that because I was really skillful. He said, the Lord delivered me from the hand of the lion, the hand of the bear. You see, and he's going to deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. Exactly the same. What huge bravery in order to save a little lamb. Now, to me, that isn't really great strategic shepherding. You see, I would have thought a strategic shepherd should look at it like this. I've got loads of lambs and sheep to look after, and you know, there's a lambing season coming along soon. There'll be other ones. If I risk myself with this lion, then there's going to be no shepherd, and the whole flock's going to be at risk. So the best thing I can do is say, hey, lambing season's coming. It takes off its prey goodbye. I'll throw a few stones after it, maybe sling at it. I'm not going to go for it. But he didn't. David was the good shepherd, who was prepared to give up his life for the sheep. He was prepared to do that. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm just going to get water. Um, <clears throat> he was prepared to do that because he cared for the flock. He did not look on the outward appearance and say, hey, it's just a little lamb. He cared for that little thing. And then what happens? Well, Saul says, try on my armor. He tries it on. It's not that it's too big, it's that he hasn't tried it, so he takes it off. But it does show me, the fact that he tried on Saul's armor is that he hasn't yet decided how he's going to defeat the Philistine. You see? He hasn't decided his technique. The fact that he takes a stick means he didn't know he didn't have to come up close. The fact that he takes five stones 
means he didn't know the first one was going to work. He knew it was his job to go and fight that Philistine, and he didn't know how he was going to be delivered. He knew who was going to deliver him. He knew it was God. So he went to fight the Philistine. He comes close to the Philistine. The Philistine sees him. Verse 43. Am I a dog that you come against me with sticks? Goliath. It's not the stick you need to worry about. But the guy saw the stick. Maybe he didn't see the sling. But one strike of that guy's spear, David's a goner. He runs quickly. And they offer threats. Goliath says, you know, there's loads of animals feeding out there on your army. I'm going to deliver your entire I'm going to deliver your body to be fed on, just like that. David says, you've insulted the name of God. I'm going to deliver your entire army over to the animals to be eaten and the birds. And that's what happens, of course. And then we see that it's to do with God's name. David is concerned about God's name, and he is going to take out that step, that step of faith because he's concerned about God's name. And so he pulls out the sling, one shot, and God guides that shot to the one place that's unprotected, and the, a Goliath, the Philistine, does not fall backwards. No, he falls forward, just like the, the Philistine idol Dagon earlier in 1 Samuel. He falls forward. Does that kill him? We don't know. There wasn't a medic on site. But we know that by the time his head was chopped off, he was dead. Okay? So whether it's the stone or the sword, I don't know. The Philistines see their heroes dead. They run, and indeed, their army is. They all fall, and they're fed to the animals. And then after all of this, there's that interesting scene where three times, oh yes, another three times, Saul is asking not who David is. He knows, who's David, who, he knows who David is. He's asking who David's father is. Whose son is this? Why? Well, he's written to Jesse in the last chapter. He said, can you give me your musician's son? But, you know, you can easily forget people in royal correspondence, particularly if you're going a bit mad like Saul is at this stage. Why does he want to know whose son he is? Because that's the father's house that's going to be made free in Israel. So that's how it all fits together. So that's the quick whiz through the story. What can we draw from it? I want to draw three lessons. Lesson number one. God is concerned about his name. One person plus God is a majority. So we can step out boldly with God knowing that we can go against anything. But there's a particular context for this. What's that special prayer that Jesus taught his disciples? Hallowed be your name. That God is concerned for the holiness of his name. And so whenever God's name is dishonored, that's particularly when we know that we can have God's blessing and strength because God above all is concerned for the glory of his name. And if his name is dishonored in our life because we're not living the way we should, or because we see around us many ways in which people speak evil of God in the culture, we know it's God's will that we should go out in his strength, not our strength, in order to do something about that. So that's the really clear lesson from this. Go out in God's strength, not just for any old thing you feel like, but particularly working for the glory of his name. Lesson number one. Lesson number two. How on earth did David know he could defeat the Philistine? Well, it's actually logic. You say, what, logic? 
How could he logically know that? Easy. He'd been anointed to be king the chapter before. In other words, God had solemnly promised to him, you're going to become king. Was he king at this stage? No. But he knows it's his job to lead the people of Israel. That's his job. He's been anointed. He's just doing his job. And he's doing it relying on God's revelation. You see? Now what's that mean for us? Relying on God's revelation for us means relying on the scriptures. So when we've got Bible authority to do something, we can go out with absolute confidence that God will be with us because we're called to do our job. And by the way, sometimes in your job, that may mean you need to be martyred. It may mean you need to suffer. There's no guarantee of success, but he knew that's what he had to do. So lesson number one, be concerned for the glory of God's name and take big steps for that. Lesson number two, rely on his revelation. Rely on his revelation and act for him. Do your job. Lesson number three, it's about VIPs. In life, there are supposedly very important people. And the whole world operates on deciding that some people are more important than others. The commander of the thousand is more important, so you give him the cheese. And so, when people see Goliath, they say, wow, he's a big guy. He's so important, he's so scary. David looks at him and says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? He looks at the same guy with spiritual eyes and says, he's nobody. He's an upstart. He's insulting the creator. In other words, he's got eyes for God's way of viewing things. Eliab looks at his little brother and he says, he's a little brother. Well, he's obviously not very important. He's a little brother. Saul looks at David and says, hey, you're just a kid. You can't fight. Goliath looks at David and says, that's an insult that I should even have to fight you. You see, everyone is looking on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. Now, as we look around this, this group here, we're really tempted to think, that person's an important person. That person's not such an important person. That's not the way David saw his job when he was a shepherd. That little lamb was worth his life. And you know the great thing is this, that our great shepherd, Jesus Christ, looked on us and said, that little lamb is worth my life, the life of the creator of the universe, the most important being there ever has been, ever could be, is worth my life. He did that for us. So one of the big things we get from this is a reversal of all of those worldly values that we see around us, of who's important, who's not. Friends, we need to look around at our brothers and sisters and recognize how important they are because Christ thought they were important, important enough for him to give up his life for them. So three lessons from this passage uh, as, we can, as we conclude. Let's go out and take steps of bold faith for the glory of God's name. Let's not do it on a whim. Let's do it on the basis of his scripture, what he's, what he's told us that we have to do. And as we do so, let us not do that with worldly eyes as to who's important and who's not. Let's do it with God's eyes, knowing that God's the important one and that he has looked out on humanity and seen 
our value to him such that he should come and send his own son to die for us. And when you recognize that Christ has come and died for us, you see how important it is that we should serve one another. Thank you so much for listening. I'll hand back to Gordon. Thank you very much, Peter. I love that image, and I'd never thought about that before. David leaving the flock to pursue that lamb who was in danger, just as Jesus, our good shepherd, uh, pursues the one and leaves the 99. And you might be that one this morning who's in danger, who is strayed, and you can return to Christ this morning or give your life to Christ, and we would love to help you with that, uh, even help you be baptized in the name of Jesus. Maybe you just need prayers because you do feel like you're, you're kind of in the lion's jaw this morning, and we would love to to invoke the name of God and ask for the glory of his name that you be delivered. And if you want to pray with Peter, I'm sure Peter would be happy to pray with you. Uh, one of our shepherds and I will be here as well. Let's respond as we stand together and worship.